KPFA.org. FN Fresno and online at kpfa.org. The time is now 3 p.m. Stay tuned for a Stone's Throw with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money. Every Friday, happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys, there's your picture. The shadows out of This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Today is Tuesday, January 28th, 2014. If you were listening to KPFA this morning, you heard the songs of Pete Seeger. P. Seeger has died at the age of 94. There's a time to live and a time to die. It is a rare thing for an artist to change the world. Pete Seeger certainly changed my world. His folk songs were the musical accompaniment to my children's early years. He had this terrific connection with his audiences. You know, he just made them, when he couldn't sing anymore, he made them do the singing. It was so cool. You know, you could feel it. Uh, even when it was on an LP, I used to play the uh, LPs when I put my kids to bed. Gosh, that was so long ago. A yo-yo. <laughs> it was so much fun. It was fun as well as wise and kind and unique. Pete Seeger came into the world in 1919, just after World War One. So he saw the 20th century in all its confusion and contradiction and carnage, all its blood and beauty. He was able to give so many people hope, even when things looked dark. He was a scholar, too, uh, a student, uh, a musician whose sense of history was always evident in his work. Uh, folk songs are an integral part of our culture. You know all that stuff. Uh, now, Pete Seeger said one time or another that we, this human species, that we do have a 50-50 chance of surviving. I think he's an optimist, yes. And he certainly showed us how to do it joyfully, right? Oh, is it some Zen Buddhist says, uh, uh, joyful participation in the sorrows of the world. Anyway, he, he brought the joy no matter, uh, what was going down, no matter what hit us. His spirit is, uh, in his songs. They will be with us always.
today, <laughs> from the sublime to the ridiculous, I want to finish up my spin on Woody Allen. Now, there's another progressive, a uh, different kind of artist, uh, not altogether a wise man, that is, at least uh, in his personal life, uh, not what we would call uh, a role model or a moral example. Last week, I was talking about Woody's films, and I said Shadows and Fog was the one I thought was most representative, or the one I liked the most. And that's the one where he used the music from Threepenny Opera. I just love Bertolt Brecht and Kurt Weill. Germany between the wars. Grim, grim. The Weimar Republic reminds me of our own. Uh, I think in Shadows and Fog... Woody Allen did a swell job of illustrating our paranoid society. You know, serial killers and fascist trends. <laughs> An age of fear, anxiety, trembling. But of course, in that movie, it's all a circus as well. Uh-huh. Mia Farrow is in the circus. She has a I don't know, remember what her role was. Was she, her husband was a sword swallower. I've forgotten. She had a, a fluffy little costume, but she has trouble with her husband. What was that? John Malkovich, right? And she flees. She runs away from him because he and Madonna are getting it on. So she runs into the dark streets and she meets Lily Tomlin. <laughs> and they go to Lily Tomlin's home, which is a whorehouse, and there Mia Farrow meets the other uh, ladies, Kathy Bates, Jodie Foster, a whole slew of women, and uh, they say some very hard-hearted things about male sexual behavior, certainly funny, but I couldn't help wondering if that is really what Woody Allen thinks women feel. Possible, possible. Woody Allen's real revenge seems to be evident in his current film, Blue Jasmine. Now, Blue Jasmine boasts an Oscar-winning performance by the incomparable Kate Blanchett. She plays Jasmine. Uh, her sister is played by Sally Hawkins, terrific actress, Sally Hawkins. She was in a movie called Desert Flower about that beautiful woman from Somalia who had suffered from FGM, female genital mutilation, it's based on... It's a documentary, actually. No, it's a story about a, this woman who comes... Uh, she's in London, actually, at an embassy and... The embassy goes home because there's a war on and she stays in London and becomes a supermodel. Do try to see Desert Flower if you are a feminist uh, or even if you sympathize uh, with women's uh, oppression. Actually, this is that movie is about woman's transcendence. It's a very beautiful movie, too, to look at. Uh, anyway... In Blue Jasmine, all the actors are splendid. Uh, Andrew Dice Clay, a uh, lot of 
people, Alec Baldwin, Jasmine, the, the character Jasmine, is a neurotic. She has a sick soul. She's one of our modern lost souls. <clears throat> Nobody home in there, you know. Her soul plasma is uh, running low. Well, the, the whole culture is running out of soul plasma. Now, uh, Jasmine, this the role of Jasmine, it's been compared to Tennessee Williams' character, Blanche Dubois, in A Streetcar Named Desire. I think uh, most people, at least those my age, have acquaintance with Streetcar Named Desire. And I would just like to say it ain't nothing like. There is no comparison, but Kate Blanchett uh, played Blanche, Blanche Dubois, on Broadway. So maybe Woody Allen saw her performance, maybe he thought there was a connection. However, his spin, Woody Allen's spin, on a woman down on her luck and desperate to find a way out, you know, running to her sister's house, her sister's poor, but uh, it is a place to stay. <laughs> she gets a first-class ticket. Her sister said, why would you buy a first-class ticket if you're flat broke? Anyway, this woman, Jasmine, uh, denies reality absolutely. And uh, Woody Allen has written for us uh, and directed this portrait of uh, a woman, a modern, very modern woman, who is antithetical to Blanche Dubois. Blanche Dubois was the, is the soul of uh, Tennessee Williams, yes, the playwright, I believe. Well, you know, the cliché about his being gay and therefore Blanche is his inner self. But in any case, she is the character he identifies with. Blanche Dubois is an ultra-sensitive, sexually hungry southern belle. But she's a woman who is the victim of our brutal world, uh, of our coarse culture, a world that doesn't understand her, certainly doesn't appreciate her. Uh, her emotional and mental breakdown is kind of a representative or maybe a metaphor uh, for what's happening to so many refined souls. It's an illustration of the death of beauty in this hostile world. Uh, now, in Blue Jasmine, Woody Allen <laughs> has taken revenge on his one-time partner, Mia Farrow, because Jasmine, <laughs> Jasmine is a hypocrite. Uh, she looks the other way when it's all about the money, her husband's fraudulent financial affairs. Just She says that she doesn't understand them. If she looks the other way, she's bored. Uh, but he gives her a glamorous lifestyle, and she enjoys the hell out of it. Uh, she assumes, or she presumes, that her husband is completely faithful and lawyer, lo loyal to her. But when he's revealed to be unfaithful, to be, uh, he says, in love with an au pair, a very young girl, he says it's the real thing, this love, uh, not just some uh, idle flirtation like all those that he has had before, 
uh, many of them with Jasmine's friends, as a matter of fact. Uh, now, when this hits her, this uh, unbelievable betrayal, she she simply she says it can't be happening. It cannot be. We know people like that. Anyway, she immediately makes a phone call to the FBI. She, of course, knows all about what he's been up to. Her husband is thus destroyed and is, uh, well, we, we learn that he's killed himself in his jail cell. <laughs> she, she tells people in a kind of stupor, yes, that he didn't hang himself, that, I mean, it wasn't the rope, it didn't, wasn't strangulation. Uh, when you hang yourself, your neck breaks. She keeps saying that. Uh, anyway. Some of this stuff seems to me to recall the events surrounding Woody Allen's breakup with Mia Farrow. Now, even if you think that Jasmine and Mia Farrow uh, might have kept their mouths shut about their partner's <laughs> despicable behavior, there is no question, ah, no question but that hell hath no fury like a woman scorned or in this case, betrayed. Uh, as I watched Kate Blanchett's stunning performance as a woman totally oblivious to reality, a woman totally narcissistic, self-centered, uh, I couldn't help but remember this great actress in other films, you know, roles, oh, where she plays women with great souls, um, Terrific. Uh, made me think of Judy Davis. Both of them, Judy Davis, Davis and uh, Kate Blanchett, are from Australia. Um, there's a movie called Oscar and Lucinda, 1991, Australia. Breathtaking. Uh, it has Kate Blanchett playing a rebel, 19th century gal, a gambler with a vast capacity to live and love. She wears these terrific pantaloons in one scene. It's a radical uh, dress code. She breaks the dress code, right? Uh, she initiates the change. What fun. Lucinda cares nothing about money. She's utterly innocent. She has a, uh innocent soul, but she's not naive. She's completely willing to break all the rules. She's a barefoot free spirit. Uh, <laughs> the other movies most of the uh, the audiences have seen or are familiar with because they're all on cable. Let's see, there's Elizabeth, movie about Elizabeth when she was a young woman. There's another one called Elizabeth the Golden Age. It's on today, I noticed, uh, rerunning on the Stars Network. Unbelievably beautiful, just a gorgeous Renaissance film, but... Uh, it's the kind of movie that will be around for a long, long time. It's a curious spin on Elizabeth, but it is, uh, what is it, uh, a portrait of a great woman. Oh, Elizabeth I. Anyway, Kate Blanchett is truly one of our contemporary leading actors. I guess Meryl Streep is no longer... At the top of the list, I loved, I loved her, Kate Blanchett, as Bob Dylan. It's a movie in which 
whole bunch of actors imitated Bob Dylan, and she was more Bob Dylan than he is. Oh, and she played Veronica Guerin. That's uh, Veronica Guerin, G-U-E-R-I-N, that's the title of the movie. It's all about the Irish journalist who was killed when she uh, went after the drug lords. She wanted to expose these uh, criminals that were poisoning her community. After her death, uh, there were changes in the laws. Oh, I even loved her imitation of Catherine Hepburn. Uh, it was in The Aviator. It was opposite, uh, who is it? Leonardo DiCaprio, I guess. He played Howard Hughes. But I liked her Catherine Hepburn. Some people said she shouldn't try to to do Kate Hepburn, but I thought she she gave what I call a spin. She didn't imitate, but she certainly gave the essence of that actress. Uh, anyway, I think she got into the mind heart of Catherine Hepburn. Uh, but what do I know? Uh, none of that uh, affects her style in Blue Jasmine. She's a great actress, not a great personality. I don't know what her personality is. She said on a recent interview show that she and her husband plan to uh, begin or build a theater in Australia. I think of the uh, Royal Shakespeare Company in London, and I think that's about what she has in mind, a national theater. And Australia certainly deserves one. The films that have come from Australia, oh, in the last half century, are absolutely off the charts. Uh, I watched the other day again the chant of Jimmy Blacksmith. I don't want to spin out and fragment here, but the best film about race, race, color, color, no, it's about color. It's about the Aborigines in Australia and about, uh, 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 what is it? Mixed marriages in uh, the chant of Jimmy Blacksmith. Uh, they, they seem to think that's the solution to all their problems. People should marry up. Anyway, uh, Woody Allen's movie, I, I think he sat down to write it and he thought, I think he thought he was writing something about uh, a woman, a neurasthenic woman, uh, who was so deluded that she, of course, uh, is kind of a nut. There's a scene where she talks to her young nephews, her sisters, two boys, and she acts as if they were uh, adults, uh, maybe her woman friends or a psychiatrist. She cannot get out of herself. She is completely uh, delusional. She tells the kids about the electroshock treatments she got. Uh, she said they didn't wake her up to reality. Uh, when she's talking to these young boys, she calls her shock treatments Edison's medicine. I love that phrase. I'm going to use that from now on. Electroshock treatments as Edison's medicine. <laughs> she certainly deserves an Oscar for her performance in Blue Jasmine. And like so many actors, I I think of it as a uh, an award for the body of her work, for all of it. Although I think this Blue Jasmine is going to be the definitive neurasthenic 
uh, in Woody Allen's films, in his uh, collection of works. He is, of course, a great auteur. Uh, probably, I think, uh, if we were to take a poll around the world, he's America's number one. He didn't show up for an award at the Golden Globe. Certainly, he does not. He's a show up at award ceremonies, a no-show every time. Now, there have been 179 women playing roles in Woody Allen's films. Uh, very few of them seem to me to be legitimate. Uh, that is, from my perspective, I do not see women the way Woody Allen does. Uh, I think that the skill of these actors is their capacity to take Woody Allen's scripts and to portray his thoughts honestly. I have to ask myself, though, why does it make me so angry? I think of all the movies, great films, great films, but they were scripted, written, directed by men, and no matter how, how beautifully they are done, the the intensely deep, deep, I think of, oh gosh, the Engmar Bergman film in which he took Ingrid Bergman and he portrayed her as a, as a the first time they made a movie together, Ingrid Bergman and uh, Ingmar Bergman, Ingmar, and uh, she was portrayed as the world's worst mother. And I didn't believe it. Uh, Fellini, too, uh, used his wife, created characters that were beautiful. Uh, La Strada is certainly beautiful, but his wife was neither an idiot nor, nor a tragic figure the way he portrays her in Juliet of the Spirits. Uh, anyway, what I'm saying is that for my money, these guys have a tendency to distort the female psyche. As somebody said, we see things, we see things not as they are, but as we are. So I'm waiting for the kind of women writers, and there are several, who can give me and people like me the kind of female characters that uh, ring all my bells. I think of Jane Campion. A whole list of movies. I want to talk about them someday, but uh, she's up for uh, an Oscar. It's a TV series, and uh, oh golly, I've forgotten it. What is it? Top of the top of the hill, top of the mountain, something. Anyway, the leading actress in that is up for an award. My favorite, well, my two favorite Jane Campion movies. Uh, have to be the piano with Holly Hunter and all those, all those great actors, Sam Neill and anyway, I thought that the piano was, uh, worthy of Emily Bronte. Mm hmm. Check it out. The other movie is Bright Star. Uh, a breathtaking film was so sad. I don't know whether a lot of people can take it. It's about, John Keats, bright star, you remember, it's from one of his poems. And he's in love with Fanny Braun, and uh, 
They cannot marry because Keats doesn't have any money. His friends decide that he might be saved if they send him away to Italy. So he goes to Italy and promptly dies, of course. Should have stayed home and let Fanny nurse him anyway. She spends the rest of her life mourning uh, John Keats. I think that movie is a meditation, a prayer. Uh, the actor uh, Ben uh, Winshaw is his name. He played uh, Richard II in the recent uh, PBS special, The Hollow Crown, Richard II. Four Shakespeare plays in The Hollow Crown. I'm still watching them late at night. I just love them. Anyway, <laughs> I think I think the secret of um, the female psyche has to be that we have to have the writer sit down and do it. I think that the women can give it a certain cast or color, but it all depends on the words. The writer has to do it for us. Uh, I wanted to read you a whole bunch of stuff on the function of the critic, because I've been worried about that lately. Someone said to me the other day, Oh, don't critique the movie for me. I want to enjoy it. And I said, well, but gee, I'm sorry I made a mistake. I thought that's what I was doing. At least up to a point. I, I am a spoiler sometimes. Film study is not the same as a review. In a review, you're never supposed to tell what happened. Uh, I think that uh, the job of the critic is to save the art from the artist. <laughs> uh, now, most media watchers know that the bulk of our popular art will always be nothing more than entertainment. It's certainly true as long as the mass of people are conservative, that is, frightened. Most people wish to be consoled and confirmed. They want their prejudices reinforced and their structured belief systems validated. Like, yes, validate my beliefs. After all, it hurts to think. And it is absolute agony to think twice. <laughs> I love that line. I wrote it and... I'm very proud of it. It's in an essay of mine, and that line found its way into the 25th anniversary issue of Ms. Magazine. I think I'll, I think I'll uh, write it out in a graphics and put it over my desk. I'm going to repeat it. It hurts to think, and it's absolute agony to think twice. <laughs> that essay goes on to talk about using muscles that haven't been exercised. Uh, the ultimate goal of thinking is a conclusion, you know. Uh, solve the problem. Uh, and that gives us permission to stop thinking. That's why most people simply go for the first answer. They don't stop to think twice. Uh, Ah, oh, yes. I was asking a friend the other day about his life. And he said, well, my philosophy of life is, I can't use his language, of course, on the air. He said, get them before they get you. He said, that's done me fine all my life. And I thought, well, okay. <laughs> As a life's 
is a mantra for your life, that that would have to do. I think that most people's synapses, you know, the little nerve cells in their brains, I think they sag after a few laps around the field of new ideas. They just settle for the status quo. Or for something their friend said last night over a few drinks. Uh, next time we're having a marathon, I would like to go on to talk about what conservatives want when they go to the movies and how they retreat into castles of conformity. You know, they say, I only want to be entertained. Anyway, contemporary film criticism is a sort of bitchcraft. And uh, I hope to be one of those who makes it a little more thoughtful. This has been Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. I'll be back again next Tuesday at the same time. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Tune in to Full Circle this Friday, January 31st from 7 to 8 p.m. on KPFA 94.1 FM. This week's show is our special lead-in to Black History Month as we reflect on how we must know our past to be able to move forward towards the future. We'll be bringing in documentary filmmaker Tariq Nasheed, director of Hidden Colors, an in-depth look into the history of African and Aboriginal peoples. We'll also be opening up the lines to let our listeners join in on the discussion and share their voices. So tune in and participate with us here at Full Circle from 7 to 8 p.m. this Friday, January 31st on KPFA 94.1 FM.